appreciated what the Lord did last year. And uh, certainly it was powerful and wonderful to have a an almost full house. But at the direction of the Lord, I have purposely called the crowd. Other than answering questions, word of mouth, there has not been one official advertisement of this meeting by email, social media, or advertisement. Not one. Not a secret meeting. If you're here, God led you here. But we have purposely called the crowd. And if you've come expecting what we did last year, I invite you to go to theantioch.com. Video on demand seminars, and you can watch the videos from last year. This is not going to be like last year. If you brought your syllabus, uh, that ought to be good for a few extra calories burned and carrying it in here. Uh, you can take it home and leave it there. I will not be using it. I used it last year. It fits with the sessions last year. And uh, uh, it's good stuff. It's good stuff, but that's not how we're doing it this year. We are... Uh, these sessions, as has been announced in church, will be far more practical application than impartation of concept. I will translate that statement. We're going to be doing a lot more praying and a lot less talking. Oh, and by the way, the Lord told me last night that you're going to be doing most of the praying, not me like I did last year. You see these five microphones? They're all primed and ready to go. I will be shocked if I don't end up using all five of them in each session this week. Uh, if you have not heard, since it's not in print anywhere, it's not secret, we just really went that far, each session will start in, at night at 7 o'clock. And that doesn't mean you get here at 7.30 because we're going to be singing till then. Uh, unless the Lord specifically directs, there won't be one song sung all week. Won't be one note played on an instrument all week. We're not here to have church. We're here to find and the will of God and follow it and to let the Lord teach us and help us. But we're not going to be practicing this week. There's going to be some great things that God's done. And if you were in the service last night, he already started. And I don't know how much liberty I have to give the details of the victory that the Lord won last night. 
but it was significant. And I'm a little reluctant to uh, speak of it publicly because this is being streamed and we have no control where it's going and there would be parties uh, who were affected by the prayers last night that might not appreciate it. Uh, But the Lord won the victory, a significant victory that is only the beginning of the manifestation of the victory in that particular situation. So we're going to see what the Lord is going to do. I probably uh, will do a little more teaching tonight than in any session this week. We are scheduled, as I feel led of the Lord, that the primary focus of the next three nights will not be teaching. Uh, There will be some instruction, but it will not be teaching. It will be instruction uh, for you to follow. We will be having the the entire next three nights are focused on warfare. Uh, There are two sessions each day. One starts at 10 goes to approximately noon and then we will take this is all tentative you know the Holy Ghost has the right to blow this all to kingdom come but this is what we feel to at least announce and uh, we will go from approximately 10 to approximately noon and then from 1 to 3 there will be probably a little bit of teaching in each of those day sessions for the next three days Wednesday, Thursday, Friday but there will also be application of what's being taught. And I, I was not being facetious. If you have not, if you were not here for call to war last year, or you have not watched those teaching sessions specifically online, there is, there is a huge amount of biblical foundational teaching on this subject that is absolutely essential for long-term scriptural, balanced, pleasing to God involvement. And you need that teaching. I'm not doing that this year. We may do it next year. We may, as the Lord leads. But that's not what's going to be happening this year. Uh, there were, we, we, had, we wore it all day on Friday. I uh, say all day. We, it was about five or six hours of prayer during the day, and then that evening it was about three to four more. And there were, the Lord did a lot of great things, and it was very dynamic, uh, amazing, powerful. And uh, I know in my spirit that the Lord did wonderful things. But if I'm not missing it, and I am not, most of the prayer this week will be much more focused prayer on specific situations, and we will know in a matter of time, a reasonably short amount of time, the evidences of the prayer because of the victories that will be won. Just like last night, we prayed, and at eleven thirty today, God gave the answer, and it was. Amazing. Praise God. Uh, So since I'm not going to 
announce that in this microphone to be streamed to only, this is not a slang, this is a literal statement, only God knows where. Okay, uh, then you're welcome to talk to brother, the brother who prayed here last night, and I'm sure he's excited enough to share the details with you if you want the details. But the Lord did wonderful things. Praise God. I am. I appreciate having you. There are some of you that haven't been here before. You weren't here last year. Uh, you are welcome. I'm glad you're here. Uh, as I said already, I hope that you have already watched the seminar. It would be positive for you if you got at least the electronic copy of the syllabus, which is over 300 pages, absolutely crammed full of... Uh, of uh, scripture you can get that in print or electronically and study that so that you have a biblical foundation i i am strongly opposed to emotionalism i am adamantly opposed to hype uh, i want the real and only the real praise god and uh, for the, all of that to be the case then it has to be, everything that's done and said has to be built upon the foundation of the Word of God. Not twisted scriptures. And in this case, there is so much in the Bible on this subject that it's really not hard to conclusively, where it's without the possibility of it being gainsaid. Uh, that's a King James word. For argued against successfully. You can't argue against it successfully. You can reject it, but you can't argue against it. Not if you're going to believe the Bible. Not if you're going to follow the scripture. And uh, But we are seeking, first and foremost, to be uh, founded upon the word, uh, balanced by the word, uh, confined to the word. If we cannot uh, confirm something is biblical, it will be stopped immediately. Praise God. As one preacher said to me one time, he said, I really need to work with you because you don't do anything unless you know you can prove it in Scripture. He said, now me, if I hear something, I'd do it and worry about whether it's in the Bible or not later. Uh, unfortunately, that was not said by someone whose name is unfamiliar to thousands in the United Pentecostal Church. Uh, but that's not, that, I don't operate like that. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to be deceived and I don't want to be a deceiver. Okay, and uh, God doesn't need me to defend him. He doesn't need me to explain him. But I am expected, and you are expected, to, uh, to try the spirits. The word try there means to put to the test. There's only one way to test spirits. And what does that mean? It's specifically referring to what a spirit might be trying to tell you 
or cause you to feel. And you take what you think you're hearing and you think you're feeling and you judge it by the Logos, the written word. Now, this is my iPad. It, you say, well, that's not a Bible. How many do you want? Between apps, Bible apps and translations, there's probably about 50 Bibles in here. I hope that's good enough for you. So when I point to my iPad, I'm really referring to the Bible, not the iPad. So, but it's in here. It's in the Word. This is in the Word. Uh, last year, by the, the direction of the grace of God, I did my very best to uh, let the Lord use me to convince you of the essentiality as an in, as an in, as individual Christian and as a collective body, that the essentiality of us being involved in warfare. Uh, I have to assume this year, because I'm not going to be allowed to try to convince you of it. I am. I have to assume that if you're here, you already are relatively convinced of the essentiality of spiritual warfare. I realize, having been raised in the United Pentecostal Church all my life, uh, I realize that this is not something that is participated in by the average apostolic Pentecostal. I can't help that. I can't help that. There's a lot of good people that don't do this. That means they're in ignorance. And I'm not saying that putting me up and putting them down. I'm talking about the Word of God. And uh, in fact, Jesus said, how can you enter? Jesus, anybody ever heard him? Jesus said, how can you enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods Except you first, first bind the strong man and then you can spoil his goods. Why does, why is the the average size of, uh, of, uh, United Pentecostal churches approximately 70 people or less? In this country alone, there are almost 5,000 United Pentecostal churches. Why is the average size? 70. Is that because people don't want what we've got? That's a lie. It'd be hard to find people who would look you in the eye and say, I want to go to hell. You might find some to say they don't believe in hell, but you'd have a hard time finding a, a, a more than a very small, insignificant number of people that would look you in the eye and say, I want to go to hell. Well, if that's the case, then why are are our churches small? Is it that we're not good enough preachers? I've heard it said by people within the United Pentecostal Church and by preachers outside of the United Pentecostal Church that the United Pentecostal Church has has the greatest preachers in the world. And if you've ever had the unfortunate experience to be in a hotel room or someplace and listen to some preaching on TV, 
then you absolutely know that there are guys preaching to 25 people every week that can preach circles around these guys that are big names. Sad. Well, then why do we have such small churches? Because we're trying to spoil the strong man's house without first binding the strong man. And I don't care how you, how, who you are, how much you pray and fast. You can say hallelujah, hallelujah, thank you Jesus, thank you Jesus, glory to God, glory to God all day long. And that doesn't defeat the blind, the, the strong man. Does not. I'll go a little bit farther with you. We're going to talk about praying in the spirit in this meeting and it will be, there will be a significant amount of praying in the spirit. But, there are some victories, especially coming against strong, the strong man, principalities and powers, that there's going to have to be something said in your language, whatever that language is, specifically saying to that strong man that you, he is bound and he has to loose, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you can pray all you want in tongues, but there comes a time that the word, you know, authority is only exercised by the spoken word. If I put a gun in your face and say, put your hands up, you're not putting your hands up because of my authority. Has nothing to do with authority. It's fear. But the centurion said, I'm a man under authority. I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to another one, come, and he comes. I say to another one, do, and he does. Authority is only exercised through the spoken word. Only. And so at some point in time in spiritual warfare, somebody has got to stop talking in tongues long enough to speak to whatever you're praying against. And the keys of the kingdom are binding and loosing. And they are done verbally. Binding and loosing is done verbally. Okay? So, you know, I, I'm just flowing along here a minute. I've, I've got some notes that I may get to or may not. Uh, but the point here is we, we want to find the flow of the Spirit and we want to get in that flow and then we want to let the Lord take us where he wants us to go. Now, before I get into my notes, uh, we heard three men of God last night. They all obeyed God. Even the first one <laughs> obeyed God. And I won't take the time to explain that one. Uh, but uh, Brother Sharp was talking uh, about uh, relationship and dying. And I got to thinking of that today in the light of warfare. Let me tell you why the average Christian avoids spiritual warfare. I was in the military. Uh, thankfully, I did not crawl on my stomach with a uh, weapon in the mud. That's reserved for those special people that are in the Army or the Marine Corps. Uh, I slept in air-conditioned spaces and ate cooked meals and and uh, served on board ship. 
you know, like people that if they have a choice would choose to do unless you're a macho man, right? <laughs> anyway, so uh, I, I, I did not, I was not in that situation, but I was uh, in training to be a pilot before the Lord uh, touched my shoulder blade and paralyzed it so that I was medically retired before I finished all of that. But I understood that if, if he had allowed me to continue through with the, 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 the direction I was going in the military rather than get me out so that I could preach right then, I understood that I was putting my life on the line every time I climbed into the seat of a cockpit. Whether through an accident while you're just flying a, a training mission or a routine mission or actually you were flying into harm's way. You're putting your life on the line. It's even more literal for those uh, part, the parts of the Navy that does that, like the, the SEALs, and for the, the guys in the Army, especially the infantry and, uh, and, and the Marines. Uh, if you go into combat where they're going to be shooting at you, if you're not dead before you get into combat, you have a higher risk of being dead. I'm going to let you think about that a little bit. If you're not dead, if you haven't counted yourself as dead before you go into combat, you actually increase your likelihood of being dead. As I thought about meditated today on what Brother uh, Sharp had to say, because it was kind of fitting in with this specifically, I realized as I was praying with the brother on the platform last night, it hit me. Uh, warfare intercession and travail intercession are both very specifically connected to dying. If you're going to war, you understand there is a very good likelihood you will not survive combat. A, a woman who rejoices over the good news that she's expecting does her best to put off as long as possible into the back of her mind that to finally hold what is in her arms, what is just gestating in her womb she's going to face death as close as she will ever face death till the day she dies there is a dying connected to travail there is a dying connected to warfare and 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 people who are not willing to give themselves over to the spirit of god under the authority and the direction of the word of god and put their lives on the line and count yourself as dead in Him and allowing Him to, to move through you in that context, you're never going to see any results from your warfare. You might have an experience, but you're not going to have results. 
An experience is a wonderful thing, but you can't have enough experiences to substitute for results. Because here's the problem. There's no such thing as an experience that satisfies long term. It may be awesome and you may be all euphoric about it while it happens. But it's pretty common with us that that uh, the shelf life of euphoria after an experience is de- de- depletes very rapidly. And the vividness of the memory of that experience fades very rapidly. We were sitting at the table today, uh, trustees, and I was there at the table. We were eating, and one of the brothers was telling about an experience he had at a manifest meeting, and he was going through the details. He said, you remember that? Faintly. Well, he remembered it really well. I didn't. Well, is that bad? No, 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 no. Because I find that if you're used of God for your soul's sake, the details need to fade really fast. You can't afford to sit around meditating on how God used you. The recipient may remember longer, but not the vessel, not the conduit. That's a negative thing. So all that experience stuff is wonderful. But the bottom line is this. Results are a lot more satisfying than experience. You pray and something happens, that's a lot more satisfying than any amount of goosebumps or seeing angels or intense Manifestations of the power of God. Results always trump experience. Or the euphoria of experience. Always. So I've got something the Lord gave me. Uh, Some of it I have talked about before. It's really basic. It's really more of an introduction just to get started in some things. I don't think I'm going to stay with it very long. I know those are famous last words. Uh, but if if he decides to give me a specific flow with this, so be it. I do want to cover some of the details that he he specifically gave me to talk about as an introduction tonight. Uh, the uh, the sign says, "Call to war the Great Commissioning." I believe that we're again we're going to receive more this week than simply the impartation of information or even of revelation. And there's going to be something far more than experience. I believe there are going to be people here who are going to accept a commission into God's army to fight. The problem, of course, is this. It's not that he has a few soldiers and the rest of us are spiritual civilians. 
It's that we're all called to war. And some of us accept that call and others of us reject it because it is quite disruptive to your natural life. I mean, you can't pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, with your mind 10,000 miles away. Kingdom come, thy will be known. You can't do that. You can't pray your hallelujah, 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 thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus stuff with your mind already planning your day and going through whatever. And participate in warfare. You can participate in religion like that. You can even credit to yourself. Note how I just said that. You can even credit to yourself a certain number of hours of prayer that you can mark down on your calendar and and you need to keep track of that because God's not. He isn't. So make sure you keep track of the Number of hours you prayed hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Or our Father which art. Make sure how many times, how many how you have a record of how many our fathers you said. For all of you apostolic Catholics. So that you can make sure you give yourself credit. He's not keeping track because you're not getting any credit from him. Okay? So... The purpose of the Great Commissioning is to understand that we haven't come here for the primary purpose to learn how to play patty, spiritual patty cake with the devil. Rebuking Jesus' name. Rebuking Jesus' name. That's just spiritual patty cake. He loves for you to get involved in one of those little deals with him all day long. There's no faith in that. There's no authority in that. There's a lot of fear in that. I forget who I was riding with the other day and we were laughing because uh, this guy was talking about the fact that I, I know I should remember mine. I can't believe I can't remember. But we were laughing at the way our wives handle our driving. I found out that his wife handles his driving exactly like mine. My wife is not a nagger. She does not nag. She does not nag. And when, when she feels like I'm being a little too aggressive, she doesn't say anything to me. She just goes right over my head and talks to the, the boss. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. And that says to me, I'm not nagging you and I'm not even commenting on your driving, but you, but I'm a little concerned about what you're doing right now. And most of the time, I just let that ride. It's okay. And every once in a while, it, it just kind of hits me wrong. And I say, would you stop that? It wasn't that close. I missed him by a whole inch. You're kidding, right? Save your prayers to when it counts. When you hear some noise, pray. You know, that kind of deal. Well, uh, we're not here to play patty cake with the devil. We're not here to have an experience of defeating devils. We're here to participate in the Great Commission, which is... To bind the strong man so his house could be spoiled. In fact, 
I remind you of what Jesus said to the disciples when he sent the 70 out and they came back and said, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said, don't rejoice over this. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. Don't rejoice over that. So again, it doesn't matter how many devils you defeat if there's no harvest, no results afterwards. If nobody's getting saved, nobody's life is being changed, nobody's being delivered. Pray against the devil all you want, and all you've done is just created a spiritual ego that will be difficult for the Lord to deal with. So, uh, let me start with this. You cannot participate in spiritual warfare if you have a victim mentality about anything. You don't believe in victims, Brother Wright? No. Because regardless of what you do to me, my attitude about me because of what you do is my choice. You cannot take my choice away. You cannot take my power to choose away. I was sharing this uh, today, I believe it was. One of the most challenging tasks as a pastor is to convince someone that no matter what somebody else has done to them, they and they alone are accountable for their choice over whether or not they get offended and hold a grudge. No matter how justified that offense is to the natural man and the natural mind, God holds you accountable over your choice, over your response to what somebody's done to you. God holds you accountable for that. No matter what anybody said, I mean, that's why he said if somebody slaps you on the face, turn the other cheek. Why? It's not about defending yourself. It's about demonstrating that you are not subject to their power over you. The Bible says whatever you come under the power of, you're in bondage to it. And the only way you can come under the power of something is if you become a victim of whatever your sorrow or difficulty or trial or test or whatever it is, and you accept that you are a victim, meaning you are helpless, and you have no responsibility and there is no accountability for you and your actions and your choices and your conduct because you're a victim. You cannot war successfully against the adversary with any vestige of that attitude in your mind. It's not going to happen. It, I, I, I'm sure he wouldn't appreciate the analogy. But the old statement is, dogs can smell fear. Well, the saint, Satan, the devil, can sense when there is not a confidence in God in you. 
when you're testing the waters. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Save your breath. You're kidding, right? Let me tell you something that so many don't understand. To the natural eye, there doesn't appear to be any difference between self-confidence and the confidence in God that comes from authority to the natural eye. Because the person that has confidence in the authority of God, his authority that he has placed on them and has trusted them to use in his will, to the natural eye, seems, that person seems very confident and even to the point of being overconfident or cocky. But it's not, there are people like that. But if you have authority and you're dealing in in the supernatural realm, there is an air of confidence that says, this is going to happen because I know who God is and I know who I am in God, and I know what the Word of God says, and if I operate basic on that, I operate in the name of Jesus and use the weapons of my warfare, something is going to happen. It's like the the sign that you are saved. Spoken of, in Mark chapter 16. Oh, the one that precedes speaking in tongues. The one that's actually listed before tongues. Somebody tell me what that is. Cast out devils. Oh, it's a good thing that we don't really preach you got to cast out devils or you're not saved. But it is listed ahead of speaking in tongues, and I believe in speaking in tongues. But it's listed ahead of it. But we don't do that because we we either are scared to death or we, we claim we don't know how or uh, we don't have any confidence in our faith in God and God's faith in us. Now, you take this any way you want to. But I've never commanded a devil to come out didn't come out. Oh, that's because you're you. And who is that? A believer? Because that's what the book says. These signs shall follow them that believe, not them that preach the gospel, not them that have some lofty office, but believers. And why should it be any different for you? Are you baptized in Jesus' name? You repent of your sins? You're full of the Holy Ghost? You're speaking in tongues? Do you maintain a, a walk with God that's a life of confession of your sins and so that you're cleansed of 
You're sin, forgiven of your sins, cleansed of all unrighteousness. I'm not going to ask how long you've been on your knees because a prayer life doesn't have anything to do with that. Oh, that's a part of it. But if that's your prayer life, because the prayer life the Lord wants us to have is one that says pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean be on your knees all the time. That means there is a c connection. That's what we're reaching for is a connection in the spirit between you and Jesus where there's constant communication going on. You're walking in the spirit. You're living in the spirit. Now, if there's anybody in the room that does that 100% of the time, here's the mic. Come take it. I have to sit down. Because I can't do that all the time. I don't do that all the time. I'd like to do that all the time. But I don't succeed at doing that all the time. Thank God for forgiveness. But that is the goal. That is the desire. That's God's plan. That's what he wants. So I'm saying to you again, the Lord gave me this very specifically. That I needed to, to let him say to you in the beginning of this meeting. That you cannot successfully participate in spiritual warfare if you have any degree of a victim mentality. I've been done wrong by God, by people. I've done myself wrong. All of that may be true, but all that's got to be settled between you and God. There has to be an accountability. I have to accept responsibility for my actions. Why? Because if I don't accept responsibility for my actions, then I won't repent of, repent of the things I've done wrong. And the only way to be, for, be forgiven is confess it and believe for the Lord to forgive me. But if I'm a victim, i got nothing to repent for. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. So I can't be forgiven for something that I say is not my fault. Because I won't accept responsibility for it. Therefore, I won't repent for it. And, and, and God can't forgive me for it. So I've just condemned myself to a situation of unforgiveness because I choose to be a victim rather than to acknowledge that I am accountable. Not my husband, not my wife, not my children, not my parents, not my pastor, not my church. Nobody is responsible for my decisions but me. No matter what you do to me, no matter what you say, no matter what you don't do, what you don't say, no matter how you treat me, no matter how horrible it is. No matter. It doesn't matter. It is totally within my realm of accountability to use my ability to choose what my response is going to be. And I'm accountable to God for that choice. And I can be mad at somebody and I can take it out on them and I can, I can feel like I've been wronged and, and, and I want it fixed. I want it fixed right now. I've been wronged. I want this fixed. You want it fixed? You fix it. Lord, my attitude is wrong because I have used my choice to forfeit my choice. And blame this on everybody else. And if they hadn't done wrong, I wouldn't be in this condition right now. Wrong. Wrong. You have to make a choice. No matter what anybody does to you, God holds you accountable for the choice you make over what you're going to do with what they've done or said. 
Why is that important? Well, let me tell you something right now. If the Lord says just a normal de- devotional prayer, if you come to offer a gift, and I'm, 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 I'm taking that far more uh, figuratively than you may be comfortable with, but if you've come for your regular daily devotion, and you have ought against your brother. Just leave your intent right there. Go get stuff fixed with your brother, the Lord said, and then come back and pray, and, 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 and I'll receive your gift. Now, if it's more important to you to hang on to your feelings about somebody. I, I, had, a, I had a preacher say to me a few years ago, why... Do you keep letting so-and-so have the opportunity to do that to you? you I looked at the guy like, and I said to him, you're kidding, right? No. Every time you open yourself up to him, he does that to you over and over again. Why do you keep opening yourself up to him like that? Because... My life is my choices. If I choose to love you, and I've made that choice, there is nothing you can do to stop me from loving you. My love's not conditional. There's nothing you can do to stop me. I choose to love you. That's my choice. There is nothing you can do or say to cause me to change my mind. I've made the choice. It's my power and I'm accountable to make that. I have the power to make that choice and I'm accountable for that choice. So no matter what you do or say, if I choose to love you, that's my choice and you're not changing my mind. I don't care how hard you try. You're not changing my mind. A man came to disciples of Jesus and said, my, my son's got a devil, cast him out. They prayed and they couldn't do it. And he brought the, the boy to Jesus and said, I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't cast him out. And Jesus said, boom, you're gone. So he was gone. Well, it's not a literal quote, of course, but, but not, doesn't, the Bible doesn't say, boom, you're gone. And Jesus said, go, and he's gone. And the, and the, and the, and the guy, and, and the disciples said to Jesus after, the man, after it was over, he said, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus said this. These things only come about by prayer and fasting. Let me tell you what he wasn't saying. He wasn't saying, if you want to cast out this devil, you've got to mark on the calendar the number of days you've gone without food. And when you've gone without food a certain number of days, you are now, you have now paid enough sacrifice. You have, you have now used enough currency to purchase this miracle. And I'm going to give it to you. You know Why? It comes about by prayer and fasting. You know what he was saying to them? You want that devil to come out? You got to get stuff straight in you first. You got to get stuff straight in you first. The disciples came to Jesus in Luke chapter 17 and said to him, Lord, increase our faith. And he told them, and I'm paraphrasing now, you're missing the point. It's not needing, you don't need more faith. If you only have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you can say to the sick of mine, tree be thy cast, plucked up by the root, roots be thy cast in the sea, and it'll obey you. You think you need more faith. You've got plenty of faith. It's not faith you need. But then he told them what it was. 
He said, but which of you? Having a servant. Who's been plowing or feeding cattle and he comes in from the field. Which of you say to that person? Uh, go, you go, you're, you're tired, you go eat. And when you've all refreshed yourself, come fix me something to eat. And, and it'll be okay. He said, no, you don't do that. You say to the servant, you fix for me. And after you've done that, and I've eaten, then you can go take care of yourself. He said, does he thank that servant who did, did that? He said, no. No, he doesn't thank that servant. Because he said that servant has simply done what it was his duty to do. Now what's he really saying there? Let's bring that in this context. What was he really saying? He was saying that the Lord tests our submission to cast out devils. It has to be through the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the screen for me, please. Luke chapter 10, 19. It's only by authority. It's not by power. I don't care how much power you got. If you don't have the authority to use that power, nothing's happening. I got a vehicle sitting out in the parking lot that's got 400, no, this has got 378 horsepower. That's a lot of power. It'll go from zero to ticket just like that. It's got some power. Just like that. But that, that, that's only power. It's sitting there. It's not going anywhere. It's not doing anything. You can sit in it and sit there with your head steering wheel and go brum, 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 brum. You're not going anywhere. Nothing's happening. But there's a little key in your pocket. And in this particular vehicle, if you get that key in your pocket and you sit there, you put your foot on the brake, there's a button you can push. And that key says to that computer, this person has the authority to not to activate this power and now direct it where it need, where it's supposed to go. The key is the authority. Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Unto you I give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Those keys are not what does it. They're, they, they loose the power to do it. Luke ten nineteen. Is anybody up there? Okay, thank you. Behold, I give you power. This is King James, of course. To tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. There's two word, English words power there. No, thank you. I'm staying at 19. Thank you. Uh, those two verses power are not the same Greek word. The second word power is dunamis. It's a supernatural, it's, it's a supernatural ability to do what the natural man cannot. Well, the devil has power. He has dunamis. We have power when we receive the Holy Ghost. The adversary has dunamis. He has power. But he said, behold, I give you power is exousia. It's authority. It's the right to use power. I mean, you can go down to the costume store and rent you a police uniform. 
and buy you a bubblegum machine to go on top of your car. And you can go out and pull cars over and walk up to them in your cop uniform. And you may be stupid enough to have a real pistol, but what if you got a toy pistol on your hip? And you go up there and say, let me see your license, license registration. You don't have the authority to do that. You know what you're doing? You're impersonating an officer. I wonder how many impersonations of Christians we have. Because they talk the talk, but they can't walk the walk because they don't have the power. They have power, but they don't have a right to use it because they don't have the authority. And so Jesus said, you've got a servant that's been out feeding, plowing or feeding cattle. Well, let me tell you what. Both of those are ministries because the Bible talks about plowing is the preparation of the ground and the, and the soil is the heart, the preparation of the ground so the seed can fall in the ground and then grow a crop. And that's, that's the, the Lord's the sower, but he, must, he needs some plowers to prepare for the sowing. And that's what the ministry does. But I don't like where my preacher preaches. Oh, you mean he's got a plow that's breaking up the fallow ground of your heart and it's not comfortable. And then the words, the words feeding cattle are the translation of one word. It is a Greek verb that is the root word of the noun that's translated shepherd or pastor. King James says feeding cattle, but really it's not cattle. It's feeding sheep. That's the Greek word, feeding sheep. So here's somebody that's been out plowing ground, getting it ready for the seed of the Word of God, or they're out taking care of those that are already born again in the kingdom, and they've been doing all this work, and they come in from the field. That The field is the world. They come in from the field, and they're tired. And I'm not pointing fingers at you. This is something that's, you know what? It's easy to preach. It's another thing to do it. You come in from the field and you're tired and you've been serving God all day. And he says, before you go refresh yourself, I want you to fellowship with me first. Fellowship with me first. And after you fellowship with me, and you've demonstrated that you truly acknowledge that without me you can do nothing and that there's been nothing done by you that you're just the earthen vessel and I'm the treasure and the treasure has done all the work and you're just the earthen vessel. And I'm not doing that as a power play, but I want to keep you saved and the moment you stop believing that, you're on your way to being lost. So I'm asking you to be submitted to me in this. What happens when I reach that place? Just a word spoken to a tree can cause it to be uprooted and launched miles away into a body of water. I mean, really. (laughs) I don't know about you, but last Monday and Tuesday, I was doing some regular praying about the Lord keeping those trees propped up around my house because I'd already seen some pictures of trees that had fallen across houses 
early part of that storm. While we still had power and still had internet, there were tree, there were pictures already posted in our area of a couple of houses where trees had fallen down. In fact, a man died up in Pasadena when when a tree fell on his house. I got trees on three sides of my house. And I'm praying. And my son across the street has trees. And my other son a few miles away, he has trees. And I, and oh God. And there's people in here. And I'm praying for the church of people. Oh God, have mercy on us and keep these trees standing. So let me tell you something. The pictures are really obvious how destructive a tree is falling down. What kind of power would it take to uproot one of these trees from this property and cast it the distance, probably as a crow flies, it's not more than a half mile right out that front door till you get to the, to the uh, Severn River. But what kind of power would it take to transfer one of those trees from here into that body of water? And the Bible says, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can say to that tree, be thou plucked up by the roots and be thou cast in the seed. And it will what? It'll what? It'll obey you. So this, this victim thing, this victim thing, I'm a helpless victim and I'm not responsible for how I feel and how I see things. It doesn't, you know, and, and, and I've had people say, but you don't understand, it was a Christian that treated me like that. Do you realize how much the Lord loves you? You've obviously graduated out of kindergarten, now you're in elementary school. If you really want to get into Graduate school, it may be your child or your wife or your husband or your parent that's doing it to you. But it's wrong and it made me... No, I, boy, there's a couple of you here. You, you know what? Really honestly, before we pray, I'm gonna, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of pray so people's eyes close. With the spirit you got right this moment, because you're upset with me over this, you're not upset with me. You're upset with God. I'm just saying what he said. You would be really good no matter how spiritual you think you are. Just collect your little stuff and slip out of here because you're going to be in big trouble when the spirit begins to move. Because if you can't accept this, you are in no condition to pray in spiritual warfare. I'm not trying to be hard. I'm trying to protect you. Last year, if you were here or you've heard those sessions, how many times... In every session did I say, do not participate in this without being under the covering of authority. How many times did I say that? And I had a friend in another state somewhere on the North American continent who had a sister in his church who watched this live, got the, got the syllabus. He was going to do it. He did it eventually. He wasn't able to right then. So he, he, he got the syllabus and he, and, he, and he read it and he watched the sessions. But it wasn't quick enough for her. And with me saying that over and over and over again, 
Do not do this without being under authority. Do not. There has to be a covering of authority over this. You've got to be submitted to authority. You can't have authority unless you're under authority. And if you're not under covering, you're, you're putting yourself in danger. Do not pray against demonic spirits without being under covering authority, without being submitted. Do not, do not, do not, do not. She didn't listen. I got a call from him about a week later. He said, Brother Ryan, I don't know what to do. This lady, this lady, and I won't begin to give any details because I don't want somebody figuring this out that may be listening to this an hour later. But, you know, she was a, a major person in his church, close to his family. She's in a mental institution. She ended up in a mental institution. She was not in any kind of spiritual condition to participate in this. <laughs> did, a, did a call to war in uh, Puyallup, Washington uh, in June. I got up the first night. This is what I said. I have come here tonight to do my very best to convince you to not come back to any more of this meeting. Many people laughed. I said, no, you're missing the point. I couldn't be more serious. I am going to do my best tonight to convince you not to come back. And I did. I did my best. Now, I didn't know who was there enough to be able to figure out who if somebody didn't come back or not. But I was trying. I felt led of God to make sure that that I made it very clear, very serious. This wasn't some cool little neat thing we're doing. You know, we are made lower than the angels, folks. And devils are fallen angels. And you and I are made lower than him. The book may say, and it does say, greater is he that's within you than he that's within the world, but not greater than you are than he that's in the world. It doesn't say that. We are made lower than the angels. We are made lower than the angels. And whatever strength and power and authority and ability to do this that we have, it is not ours. It's not ours. There has to be, there has to be an attitude, a spirit. There has to be an attitude. There has to be a spirit. There has, that there has to be a willingness to be accountable. Not blame anything on anybody. Take full responsibility for everything in your life. Everything. Everything. Because only by doing that can God help you. He can only help you with that which you take responsibility for. Anything you don't take responsibility for, you have just taken it out of his hands. He can't help you. And you have left open doors in your life. Ever heard of the phraseology, a chink in your armor? That means you got all this armor on. You may have chain mail and you got a, a you know, a head, the old uh, metal helmet and metal breastplate and all that, and you're covered up all over the place. But there, there could be just one little gap. A gap. Just a chink in your armor. A gap. And if your enemy can find that gap, it doesn't matter how much armor you've got on, you could be killed. Because he found that, and I'm not trying to, I don't want, I'm not trying to make you afraid. I'm trying to make you under, just the opposite of that. I don't have any more right to stand here than you do to sit there. I'm not standing here because I'm dotting all the I's, crossing all the T's, and doing this perfectly. This flesh is real flesh. It's flesh. It's real flesh. 
And but for the grace of God and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't have any right to stand here. I have no right to stand here. I don't stand here because I got this down pat. I'm not, I don't, I, I, I'm not standing here because I'm doing this perfectly. I'm standing here because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the blood does not cover that which I don't take accountability for. The blood does not cover what I don't take accountability for. The blood does not cover what I don't take accountability for. And I can be mad at God and point fingers to God all I want, blame Him for all of this stuff. And all I've done is said, I've just said, okay, devil, I'm taking all this armor off. Take your best shot. He doesn't even need his best shot. David was a shepherd boy. His only combat experience was protecting the flock of sheep that his dad owned from a bear and a lion. The Bible says when he was recounting it to King Saul, he said he took that lion by the beard. Now that's hand-to-hand combat with a lion. He took that lion by the beard and killed him, slew him. Now bears don't have beards, so it couldn't have been the bear he was talking about. They have fur coats, but not beards. See, he took a lion by the beard and slew him. This is his combat experience. And when the king, when he, the king finally acquiesced and said, okay, nobody else wants to go against Goliath, okay, you can do it, but here's all the stuff. He said, I can't wear all this. I haven't proved any of it. Does it fit me? If you study the previous chapters, this is what you're going to learn about David. I, 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 when I learned this, I was blown away. David had been Saul's armor bearer. That means that armor that Saul put on him before he went out, before he was going to go out to see Goliath, David had been the one taking care of that armor. But David so respected Saul that he didn't do what some boys would have done. He had never tried it on. He never pretended that he was the king and wore it up with me. He respected that armor and never even toyed with it. So he goes out against the giant, nine foot six, and all the other stuff. But in the the giant's armor, his, there was a spot in his forehead that was not protected by the helmet. And David, with his sling, not, not this, but a sling, little pouch on the end of two swings, two strings, and you spin around, you let go one, and and it rock goes whatever. Okay, that was the shepherd's. Between besides the staff and the rod, the sling was a weapon. And he and he hit the giant right there. That knocked the giant down. Didn't kill him. Knocked him out. And then giant, David went over and pulled Saul's sword out and cut his head off. Not Saul's sword. Goliath's sword. Now, if if Goliath's spear was like a weaver's beam. How big was that sword? You want to know how much David grew up over the next several years? 
when he was fleeing from Saul, he went by the house of God and said to the priest, you got any kind of weapons here? Only the sword you left here, King Saul or, or, or Goliath's sword. Oh, let me have it. There's none like it. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You couldn't handle a regular sword and, and, and armor, but now you're asking to have Goliath's sword? What does that say? He'd grown up a lot. And somebody had trained him how to do that. Well, that was a good thing because if you study carefully, after that battle, Saul took that boy and made him the commander of his army over all those older generals. So you got, a, you, got a, you got the general of the army that can't wear armor and can't use a sword. Somebody taught him. So much so, and he grew and gained so much strength over whatever period of time that was, that by the time he needed it, he was able to use Goliath's sword. Well, I'm really telling the story backwards because the Lord doesn't want you to be Goliath with a spot exposed. That's what the blood of Jesus is about. That's what we're going to be doing here in a little bit. We're going to be praying. And let me tell you very carefully, do not pray this way, Lord, forgive me, and I'll never do that again. Don't lie. You're not God. You can't make such a promise. First of all, that's not receiving his forgiveness because you're trying to bargain with him. But simply confess your sins and let him forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Let's take care of that. But the other thing is, when we pray, I don't know how long we'll pray. Till I feel a release. But when we pray, you're really going to have to pray this way, Lord, by your help and grace. I forgive and release blank whoever for what they've done for me. I want to be free from that. And I want you to close up every gap in my life and in the armor of God so that I can participate without fear. Don't forget it, the, 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 the armor of God. Paul said, put on the armor of God. He didn't say put on your armor. He said the armor of God. It's a little warm in here to you. It's a little warm to me. Anybody, everybody comfortable? Oh, then hang on because you won't be. We're going to crank up some temperature in here a little bit. I cannot and will not take any session as an independent entity from the other sessions. I realize that most of you are not going to be able to be in every session. And uh, I, I understand that. I'm not upset with you over that. But I can't function like that in this. Because each one of these sessions is going to be a piece fitting into the entire puzzle the plan God has for this week. But I'm going to tell you something.
Last night, as the men of God were ministering, and I was over here praying, boy, I've been going through it. I really have. Last year, the last three or four weeks before Call of War, I had a focus like I'd never had before. It was just, and it was a, an anointing I felt and an authority I've never I've never experienced, personally experienced like that before. It was just, and it was rising up. And, and I, I, yeah, I, I was about to come unglued. I was just so focused. And, of course, the meeting last year was the most apostolic thing I've ever been a part of in my life. And that's not an exaggeration. That is literally the truth. And I've been in some meetings that I consider very biblically apostolic. There was nothing. I've never been a part of anything like that. But I did all the teaching last year. Seven three-hour sessions. I led all the prayer on Friday and Friday night. And I have waited day after day, week after week, for that same focus to come back so I could be ready for that same, same feeling of authority. Just make this happen. It's going to happen. And I waited and I waited and I waited. I've gotten direction, but that feeling hadn't been here. And I'm standing over here, and the men of God are ministering, and the Holy Ghost says to me, you don't get it yet, do you? Apparently not. He said, there's nothing wrong with you. Last year, I showed you what I could do with you. This year, I'm going to show you what I can do with them. I took this deep breath. I think it was Brother Schoonover first I walked over to him. I said, I really am saved. I was beginning to believe there for a while I was lost. Something was wrong with me. I'd been feeling things, different things. But last night I began to see it clearly. The Lord began to show me. There were people that are in this meeting. You're personally going to go someplace in God you've never been before. And you're never going to be the same again. Doesn't mean your flesh is going to stop being flesh. Doesn't mean that the thorns in your flesh that God has allowed to be there to keep you reminded it's not you but Him are going to be gone. They're not. But you're going to move into a completely different dimension of the exercise of the authority of God. And God's going to take you to certain places in Him, in whatever ministry He's got you a part of. And there's things going to happen like never before. And there actually, there's going to be stuff happen through you personally in this meeting. And there's some of you that's way down in the bottom part of this notes that I'm not getting to, obviously, to me right now, if you haven't figured it out. Uh... Peter told in his message to Cornelius himself, so he said, he talked about Jesus, about the Christ who came, who healed all of those that were oppressed of the devil. And that word oppressed in the Greek means to exercise dominion over. And the, and the English word oppressed means push down, held down, held back, repressed, hindered. And there are people in here tonight, 
You are surviving spiritually, but you're not victorious. This week, when it's your time, when you're ready to let the Spirit and the grace of God help you to die, you're going to move into a spirit of warfare. Okay? And you're going to break through to a place of victory in your life that you've never been through before. Because in that time of warfare for your own soul, God's going to heal you of the oppression of the devil. That's not possession. It's just being held back. The Bible says for us to resist the devil. That's different than being oppressed. It's the opposite of being oppressed. Because to resist the devil literally means to stand against, to oppose. But oppressed Christians are just surviving. They don't have victory. They don't have joy. They don't have peace. The, the best their faith can do is just help them to survive. They don't have any confidence that if they pray, God's going to answer and things are going to happen. I want you to accept something here tonight. We're not talking about you being lost. We're not talking about you being backslidden nor, nor being possessed. But you, there are people in this room. In fact, at the expense of sounding like I'm using hyperbole, there's at least two-thirds of the people in this room right now that are more oppressed of the devil than you have victory over him sitting here right now. How do I know that? How much real hope do you have? Just a general hope. Is hope a defining characteristic of your life? Because Jesus promised in the Old Testament, the, the God of the Old Testament, who is Jesus of the New, promised that he would comfort all who mourn. But the Bible says for us not to sorrow, even as others which have no hope. That's New Testament. So the comfort that enables us to encounter life without sorrowing like those that don't know God is hope. So if you, if you, if you're comforted, if you're a comforted Christian and you got peace, and you've got joy. It's because you've got hope. But if you're sitting here right now, and hope is not the characteristic, is not the characteristic of the flame of faith that burns inside of you, then you're oppressed. Because Romans chapter 8, put that on the screen for me. Romans chapter 8, verse 24. It says, We're saved by what? Don't quote something you don't know what you're talking about. Now, I heard a few wrong answers. Don't forget, when you get to the great white throne judgment, you don't want to guess at the answers. <laughs> don't guess at the answers to the questions. Okay? For we are saved by what? Hope. And, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? Ne next verse. But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. And then you go to Hebrews 11 and 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. 
the evidence of things not seen. And then you go to Romans 5 and 1. And I'll wait for that so you can read it with me. Romans 5, 1. Thank you. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Next verse. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand. That's what resisting is, is standing. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The word glory there is the self-manifestation, the self-revelation of God. That's what we want. We want God to reveal himself. We want God to manifest himself. And so therefore, when these things are true, verse 1 and 2 are true in your life, you have hope that God's going to manifest himself in and through your life. That God's going to reveal himself in and through your life. Next verse. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Oppressed Christians do not rejoice and thank God in their trouble. God, that's a pretty clear line, isn't it? Which side of that line are you on? Oppressed Christians don't rejoice in their tribulations. And that word tribulations can also be translated trouble, but it literally means situations that cause pressure. And, and that word glory means to boast about, to rejoice in. So which side of that line are you on? Oppressed or victorious? Victorious Christians are, don't define their victory by whether or not they're going through anything. They're, they define it by what choice they've made of the attitude they're going to have in God for what they're going through. Who praise God. This is not in the notes. Isn't that good? Do you get that? It's my choice. And if my faith is working, and faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, if my faith is working because I don't have stuff clogging my faith by unrepented sins or unforgiven grudges, I don't have stuff clogging my faith, so my faith is working and that's the evidence of things hoped for, and, and, I, and I'm not oppressed, I'm not pressed down, pushed down, uh, held down, held back, I'm, I'm living a life of, of, of victory in God. Not in my circumstances, but in God. In God, I can boast about my troubles. I can rejoice in my troubles. But we glory in tribulations also knowing that tribulation worketh. The Greek word there means causes to be active or operative. Causes it to work. Tribulation, going through trouble with the right attitude increases patience. Oh, there's a problem with the word patience. If I'm not mistaken, right here, it's the Greek word hoopomony. Hop on your pony. Hoopony. Hoopomony. That comes from two Greek words. The prefix means under. Stay under. Oh, excuse me, under. And the verb, root word, that the prefix is part of is stay. So patience means you stay under. You don't pray yourself out from under what you're going through. Now, why would you get to that place? Because you want what patience is going to produce. <laughs> Woo! This is essentially what you were preaching last night, brother. Sharp, so forgive me for 
repeating your message, but I didn't plan on doing this, so the Lord is, it must be a pretty important message because he's given it the second way. So we rejoice when we are not oppressed of the devil and our, and our conscience is clear and, and we have confidence. When your conscience is clear because you've repented and you don't have any grudges because you've given them all up to God, you've made the choice that you're going to love and you're not going to hate and you're not going to be angry. You've made the choice. It's a choice that I'm accountable for. When you've done that, your conscience is clear. First John chapter 3 says, I can have confidence that whatever I ask, he's going to give me. Have you stopped praying because you don't have any confidence? Because your conscience isn't clear? So, you've been, you've been healed by Jesus. He's taken away the oppression of the adversary. So now, you can look at your situations, your circumstances, and you can rejoice in them because, put that on screen again, please, at, because tribulations, when I go through that with the right attitude, and I accept the fact that my attitude and my trouble is my choice, and I'm held accountable for my attitude and my trouble, I'm not a victim. I'm not a victim. Now, you may love somebody that's died. You can call them a victim, but you're not a victim because they died. And your attitude about them being dead or whatever other your situation is you've got an attitude about, you are accountable to God for your attitude over that situation. You're not a victim. When you allow the victim mentality to come to you and God, the Bible says we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. That tells me, and that, according to the word of God, you are not receiving the love of God. You're not accepting the love of God. Because those who, who are allowing the love of God to empower them, they're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. So you're not oppressed. Your conscience is clear. And you can rejoice in your troubles. Because you know, you know, and that Greek word there is to know something experientially. You know that trouble causes to be activated in you the fruit of the Spirit that strengthens you and empowers you to stay under your circumstances rather than, than, than taking up all your prayer time, praying for God to get you out of all your trouble. Why? Next verse. And patience, and the implied word there is not there because it would be redundant, and patience worketh experience. Experience. My eldest son and his wife were out of town for a few days and we had the kids. We took them up to a little park that had some go-karts up near Frederick for the afternoon. And here these kids are, all the way from almost 16 to, to almost 10. And they're driving these go-karts around. And I'm standing there thinking to myself, this ought to be mandatory. Because there's no way a few months of driver's training qualifies a 16-year-old for getting on the highway and taking their life and everybody else's in their own hands. I mean, you're riding down a two-lane road at 55 miles an hour, and you don't know who that person is in another vehicle coming down another lane. And that dotted line is not a barrier. 
And your life and theirs is totally dependent on whoever that person is being able to control their vehicle at the, at the speed they're driving it. And, and you also able to avoid that. And, and every single day of your life, if you leave the house and you're riding in a vehicle or driving it, you face death countless times. All based on the, the coordination and the skill and the experience of that person driving those other vehicles because they're all weapons of death, ultimately. So patience works experience. But look what experience does. David said, I don't know about, I've never fought this, I've never fought a giant. But let me tell you what my experience is. I was a shepherd and a bear came against a sheep. And God helped me and I defeated that bear. Let me tell you about another experience I had. I was keeping those sheep and a lion came. And he took, a, he took a lamb in his mouth. And I chased that lion down, took him by the beard, pried that mouth open, got that lamb out, and then I killed him with my bare hands. That's my experience. And you know what that gives me? Confidence that God's with me to face this giant. Because that's what hope is. Biblical hope is confident expectation in an expected end. Biblical hope is greater than faith. You got faith, hope, and charity. We know charity is the greatest. And you got a list there. And we got to begin by faith. Faith's beginning. And you can have faith without really understanding the love of God. But actually to get from faith to the, the love of God, you got to go through hope. And how do you get hope? You go through trouble. You learn to go through trouble with the right attitude, which then teaches you the advantage of staying under things and waiting on God to take you out of them when he's done using those things to teach you things that you won't learn. There are things you will learn in God through suffering you won't learn any other way. And if you pray the suffering away, you're never going to be fully equipped in God. So you learn, you learn how to have a right attitude in trouble because that teaches you the value of staying under things because that works experience in you and experience gives you confident expectation in God. And the next verse says, and hope make it not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto you. So, if I'm questioning whether or not the Lord loves me, I can experience his love. Hallelujah. I just let the love of God flow through me. Now, <laughs> oh Lord, I, I love it when he does this to me, but it's not fun. <laughs> I love it when he gives me, okay, take this step. Okay, now where? Okay, now I got the foot up. Now what do I do now? And, you know, here we go. So 
And I didn't expect this to be the ending point tonight. And at this rate, it'll take me, I've only got about two pages of little notes, just a few little things here. And apparently it's going to take me all week to get those put in here someplace. Because we're going to pray. You know what? It's a free country and you're a free moral agent. And all I can do is, in the will of God, lead you to a time to pray and give you instructions on what we should be praying for. But if you don't want to pray or you don't want to pray in faith sincerely, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm not going to come tap on your shoulder and say uh, that I know of. <clears throat> I better put that caveat in there. <sighs> I better not tell God what I... I don't plan on me coming and tapping you on the shoulder and saying, you're not really praying. There are some tonight you have finally figured out the light came on in your eyes a while ago this oppression thing let me let me let me read that definition a little more clearly here all right here's what the english word oppressed means the greek word translated oppressed means to exercise dominion against to oppress the english word oppress means to burden with cruel and unjust impositions or restraints to subject to burdensome or harsh exercise of authority or power against. To lie heavily upon the mind. To weigh down. To put down, subdue or suppress. To press upon or against. To crush. Now, it's very likely that only a portion of that applies to you. But that's all what it means to be oppressed. And... And you're, and please receive this from me, from my heart. I feel this in the Holy Ghost. You're good people. This is Tuesday night. You got a lot of stuff you could be doing. You could be home wringing your hands, worried about who's going to be elected. <laughs> and if you're distracted by that, my God, have mercy on your soul. Because our business here is far more important than that. But there are, there are good people here that have been struggling with stuff and you didn't even know what was wrong with you. You know what's wrong. And you don't know how to fix it. And the lying adversary has been telling you. He's been telling you. Well, you know, you, you've lost your desire or you've lost your way or you, you don't really love God or, you, you know, you're, you're half backslidden now. When the truth is, for whatever reason, the adversaries come against you and you didn't recognize it was the adversary. And since he is subtle, meaning he does his best to mask his work so that you don't recognize what you're feeling and what's happening to you is from a source outside of you rather than inside of you. He wants you to take ownership of these feelings because if you take ownership of his feelings, God wants you to make take ownership of your choices. 
The adversary wants you to take ownership of the false feelings that he's using to deceive you with. I've said this a thousand times and probably really more than that in many different texts, especially dealing with shame. Feelings don't have to be true to be real. And the feelings that many of you have, they are real feelings. They're just not founded in truth. And what he wants you to do, he wants you to take ownership of feelings that he has convinced you are true, but they're not. They're real, but they're not true. And he wants you to take ownership of those feelings, and they're not yours. The source of those feelings are external to you, but once you take ownership of them, you have you internalized them. You are a Holy Ghost-filled person. He doesn't have the ability to force you to take ownership of feelings that are not of God or you. But if he can deceive you, then you will take ownership of those feelings and that opens the door for him to resist you, to oppress you. And so you try to pray it. You just can't find the energy to pray it. It just, you come to church and you may worship a little bit and feel God sometimes and most of the time you don't really feel a whole lot and, and the preacher preaches and you recognize what he says is true but it just doesn't, just doesn't do what it used to do. You're just not, you're not moved by it. You're not sparked by it. You're not motivated by it. And, and you're, you're, you're spiritually tired. Anybody in this place spiritually tired? Well, let me tell you something. If you're spiritually tired, that is not natural. Be not weary in well doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Weariness, natural weariness, can be fixed with a good night's sleep. If you go to bed and wake up as tired, if not more tired than when you went to sleep, that's not physical. It's not physical. I didn't say depressed. Depression is one of the possible symptoms of being oppressed. Not everybody that's oppressed is depressed. But everybody that's depressed is oppressed. And you need healing. It's healing. I looked up the Greek word today. It, it's not the word for deliverance. It's healing. Freed. Loosed. Restored. Renewed. We, we've got places we're going this week in God. God's taking us some places. God's taking you personally places. You're not just going to be standing around getting direction for somebody. Uh, hear me right now. This week, I'm not the quarterback on the field. I'm the coach on the sideline. Right now, I have no direction that I will be actually calling the signals and leading any specific prayer. I'm going to be the coach. 
Last year, I demonstrated what it was like to be on the field calling the signals. That's not the will of God for this year. I'm not going to be allowed to do that. So, one of you, it may be your play. The Lord may call your number for your play. And it's going to be your time to be one of the ones leading a specific portion of the prayer. But rather than dreading that, we need to let him fix some things tonight. You see, oh Lord. When you come to church, you sit there a while and you don't feel anything, but finally, finally, most of the time it's kind of slow. It's gradual. You begin to feel, begin to feel a little something, and then you begin to feel a little bit more. And then finally, if the if there's really a flow and a liberty in worship that night, and and you don't just check out, but you you keep trying to tune in, you will eventually break through that, and you'll be begin to be able to feel the presence of God, and you'll be able to receive some of the Word of God, and and you'll feel better while that's going on. But when when you're oppressed. And you've, you've had to do that just to have something. You won't be off the hill out of the parking lot before that's gone. And the devil will say, see, that's not real. They just hyped you up. That's not true. That was God's mercy giving you just enough refreshment and strength to keep you going. Because the bottom line is, you need healing. You need to get past this. You need victory. You know, God's no respecter of persons. It's not, it's not the guy in the pulpit. It's, it's, oh, wow, let's come and hear this guy. Wow, it's, this is really awesome. He's something else. Boy, he's really got it together. You, you know what you do? I'm not tra- talking about not, not being kind or courteous or appreciative, but but you're missing the point. For every compliment because the Lord wants to save me, he's got to do something on the other hand to keep it balanced out. Okay? I just soon you go home thanking God not even mention it to me. I really would. If if God really talked to you tonight, go tell him about that. Praise God. Don't tell me about it. I don't need to know that because he's going to have to balance the scale out to keep me saved. <laughs> You're laughing. I'm really serious. Brother Wright, you really helped me. No, I didn't. You know, I'm thirsty. Is it the glass? Well, that's not actually, that's a glass golf bag. How about my wife? Isn't she something else? Anyway, is it this container or what's in the container? If there was nothing in that container, that glass couldn't do a thing for me. I'm not trying to teach you to be unappreciative. 
But I am trying to get you to understand something. When you put somebody up on a pedestal, you just took yourself off of wherever God's trying to put you. Jesus himself did everything he did, not so they would ooh and awe with him, but so that they would learn to do what he was doing. He said, he that believeth on me the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do because I go to my Father. So when you when you sit back and ooh and ah, oh, the preacher, boy, isn't he smart? Wasn't that really good stuff? Oh, he's, he, he's so smart. You know what you're really saying? He's different than me and I can't be that. And God manifest in the flesh said, see all this stuff I'm doing? I'm doing it so that if you have faith in me, you'll do the same thing and even more. You know why? There's only one pulpit here. But there's a whole world of lost people out there. And they don't need you out there testifying about their preacher. Come hear my preacher. Come hear our music. Come hear our singing. Come see our nice auditorium. That's not what needs to happen. What happens here needs to be received here. And you say, I can go do that because that's the will of God. That's the will of God. That's the will of God. Praise God. Now, I don't know what he's going to let me do after we start praying. It is possible. I don't know. He hasn't said yet. I don't know if I'm going to lay this microphone down. It'll be the end of it. And some of you just gonna oh, now leave me now to sleep. I pray the Lord has removed my soul, my soul to keep. Okay, I'm done. I'm going home now. Okay, I've done my part. Or if you're going to take the Word of God and mix it with faith, so that it can profit you and prepare you to participate in what God's going to do for you, to you, and through you this week. This week is about you. It's, it's, it's for you and about you and ultimately for what God's kingdom is going to do through you. That's what it's about. So I'm, I'm asking you, not commanding you, not instructing you, I'm asking you in faith that you would allow the grace of God, the mercy of God to empower you, give you the desire, and empower you to seek his face. And let's get our consciences clean of everything we're not forgiven of. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. Please. You may sincerely confess something tonight and, 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 and attempt to repent. You may go home. And before you can lay down, you've had that thought again or you've done whatever again. You can't repent for tomorrow. You can't repent for an hour from now. You've got to deal with right now. He's the I am God. 
Let's get right with him right now and trust him to keep us after this point. But let's, let's not hold back repentance and confession and forgiving others because we're afraid of what our track record has been and what may happen later. Let's get right now. Now. Let's get right now. Let, you know, let, you know, the scripture says the Lord is able to keep that which we commit unto him against that day. You know, he said, take no thought for tomorrow. I'm, I'm, I'm going to repeat it this way. Take no thought, or paraphrase this way. Take no thought for what's going to happen after church. Let's deal with the I am God right now. And let's get our consciences clear of everything that we know we haven't confessed or repented of and or repented of. And let's, and let's seek God's grace to enable us to forgive every person. Now, who is that? Paul said, Romans, uh, Acts 24, 16, Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. So if you've got any grudges toward God, you need to deal with them tonight. He didn't do something you thought he should do or he allowed something that you thought he should have prevented, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or you prayed a prayer he didn't answer or whatever your grudge is. you got to first forgive God and then you can forgive others and then you can forgive yourself by his blood and by his grace. And we get our consciences clear. We get our consciences clear. And then... Whether he does something else tonight or we come back tomorrow and we launch into various avenues of ministry and warfare, that's all in his hands. But there is nothing more important here tonight. And I know, I can tell right now, 90% of you didn't come here expecting to have to deal with you. Let's take on the devil. Leave me alone, preacher. Let's take on the devil. No, 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 no. No, no, no. I've told this story too many times. But I remember when I was five years old, six years old, I got a Joe Palooka. Don't ask me to explain who he was. He was some kind of fictional boxer, I guess, back then. A Joe Palooka punching bag for Christmas. And it was bigger than me when I was five or six. But it probably didn't stand more about this high. It was, you could blow it up, but it had sand in the bottom. And you'd punch him and he'd fall over, but the sand would make him stand back up. You hit him again, whatever. And if you're six years old, if you punch him and you're not paying attention, he comes back up and hits you in the face. That is not God's idea of Christianity. If you just letting the devil beat on you, just as long as you just bounce back up. The Lord wants you, you and I to be victorious. But it starts with a clear conscience. I, I'm sorry. Let, let's, let's find that. I got to read that. First uh, John 3. Let's see who finds it the quickest. Okay. Uh, I think it's... All right. Not now. I don't want to convert later. 
Hush, get out of the way. What in the world? Where'd that come from? Excuse me, I'm just talking to myself for a little bit. First John 3, I'll find it really quickly. Wow. Here it is. I'm almost there. Oh, here it is. Okay. First John 3, let's start with verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure, shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment. That we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. And that and he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him and him, he in him. Hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. <coughs> we, the Holy Ghost so impressed this on me. He does not want anybody to participate in these meetings to be on the sidelines because they think they're unworthy. The blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can make you worthy. And that can only make you worthy if you truly trust him, his word, his blood, to be applied to your life because you have done the very simple thing he's asked you to do. If we say we have no sin, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. But if we sin, if we'll confess that sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need to clear, get our consciences, our hearts clear tonight. So that we can approach God with confidence that he will work through us to give us the victories that we pray for this week. Now, and I've been raised in Pentecost. And the average Pentecostal Christian, if they even pray at all, they, they're praying just to make sure their sins are forgiven and they're still saved. And... So many Christians, that's, if they pray, that's, that's, it stops right there. Well, that's not a bad place to start, but it's certainly not the destination. God wants me to walk in him in such a way that he can use me to do his will. And you are not ignorant of what it is that's been working in your heart, your conscience. You just can't, you can't shake it. They treated me wrong. 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 That shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have happened. That shouldn't have happened. That, should, that shouldn't have happened to me. It shouldn't have happened to me. That shouldn't have that, You know, you can't get rid of it. That's not the will of God. So, if you need to go, you're welcome to go. But if I can invite you to find a place to pray and encourage you to pray till you and the Lord have things settled, till your hot conscience is clear, till you can walk back in here tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow night, 
and you're ready to go at it. Let's just go at it. Let's just take care of it. Jesus' name, wherever you are, whatever you need to do, let's get our consciences clear. Let's repent of all our sins. Let's let the grace of God help us to forgive God, forgive others, and forgive ourselves. We don't want any of that stuff in our spirit. We don't want any of that stuff in our spirit. We want to be clear. We want to be ready to go, ready to pray, ready to be used of God. Come on. We need peace. We need the comfort of hope. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. It's not worth it to carry that stuff around. It's not worth it. Peace is the most wonderful thing there is. And you can't separate hope and peace. You can't separate hope and peace. Come on. It doesn't matter what you've been struggling with and how long you've been struggling with it. Come on, the Lord loves you tonight, and there's not anything wrong he can't fix if we will just let him. There's nothing wrong he can't fix if we'll just let him. If we'll just let him. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Oh, there's such a sweet, compassionate presence of God in this place. There's such a sweet, gentle manifestation of the love of God in this place. Come on. Come on. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's give it to him. Let's cast it upon him. Let's trust him with it. Come on. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Robokura tatata bahaya. Ye ki he kalarobokura tatahaya. Hallelujah. Itahabokura bai. Ma 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 ma. The Father is so, so ready to cleanse, to forgive, to heal, to deliver. He is so ready. We're not waiting on him, he's waiting on us. He's waiting on us to give him the opportunity to do that in our lives. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 It's okay to question what God is doing. As long as you don't begin to question God, there's a big difference. And you know the difference when you can take the questions and surrender them to God and trust Him with them. If they come back, just give them to Him again. But if you're questioning God, that means you don't trust Him enough to give Him the questions even though you don't know the answers. No sin in having questions about what God's doing. 
as long as those questions about what he's doing doesn't cause you to question God's character, question God's love, question God's faithfulness, question God's word. Come on. In the name of Jesus. And you are not questioning God. I'm saying it again. As long as you can give those questions to God, surrender them to God, even though they remain unanswered for now, you're not questioning God. Jesus' name. You have not. I'm going to say it again. I don't know why I'm saying it. I don't know who I'm saying it to, but somebody needs to hear this right now. It is not sin to have questions about what's going on. It's not sin to have questions about what God is doing. As long as those don't cause you to begin to question God, His character, His love, His word. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You don't need to repent for having questions about what God is doing. But if you've begun to question God... To question his love for you, to question his, his character, to question the faithfulness of his word. If you've begun to question those things, then you've got some repenting to do. You've got some confessing to do. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. You can leave the stage lights on, but I want the house lights turned off. Leave the side lights on and the stage lights on, but the house lights off. In the name of Jesus, come on. We're not paying attention to what somebody else is doing. We're not checking out somebody else. This is between us and God. Just us personally and God. Come on. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. There's a strong manifestation of the presence of God and the ministering angels in this place tonight. I didn't say overwhelming because it's so gentle, but it's a, it's, 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 it's a clear, strong manifestation of the presence of God, of the angels of God in this place. Very gentle, but very pronounced. Why? Because the Lord is trying to bear witness with your spirit that this is Him and that He's drawing you to this place and that He's preparing you not just for tonight and not just for this week, but for the new dimension He's taking you in personally and that He's taking your, your fellowship in personally. In Jesus' name, collectively, He's taking your, your, the group you fellowship in and with, He's taking them to a new dimension collectively. And he, and he wants you to be ready and them to be ready. Come on. Hallelujah. 
You men of God, when you're through praying for yourself, you certainly have the liberty to be led of God to pray for anybody in this room. In Jesus' name. If you don't feel led to do that, that's fine. But you have the liberty to do that. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let the Lord help you. Don't determine how long you're going to be in your place of prayer by what's being said through a microphone or by what the people around you are doing or saying. This is your time, you and Jesus. This is your time. It's between you and Jesus. It's your time. It's your time. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I plead your blood tonight, Jesus, for your people. I plead your blood, Jesus, that was shed because you love us, that was shed because you want to show mercy rather than judgment, that was shed because you know our flesh, you know our frame, that it's made out of the dust of the earth. You know us, Lord. You know how weak we are. You know how unable we are to do anything pleasing to you through ourselves, by ourselves, within ourselves. I plead your blood tonight for the cleansing of our minds, for the cleansing of our hearts, for the cleansing of our souls, for our spirits. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord God, let a strong spirit of faith come into this place to refresh our faith in your blood, our trust in your blood. That's the evidence of your love because you shed that blood for us, because you love us. Hallelujah. Come on, there's not anybody in this building that hadn't been hurt by somebody. Come on, you don't want that in your life. You don't want that in your heart and your spirit. Come on, grudges give demonic spirits an open door to your life. When you hold a grudge, you're giving demonic spirits access to your life to defeat you. 
Come on. Come on. Nothing is more detrimental to your, your spiritual health and protection than keeping your spirit, your heart, your conscience clear of all offenses toward God, others, and to yourself. Because those open doors, offenses toward others and yourself and God opens doors that gives, gives the, gives authority to the adversary to come against your life. Come on. I'd rather have a sin in me that I've done against God and have to deal with a sin I've committed than have to deal with a grudge against somebody else. It is less damaging to my walk with God to have sin that I have to deal with than it is to have a grudge that I've got in my heart and my conscience towards somebody else, whether it's God, others, or even toward my own self. Because nothing is more damaging to your spiritual health than a grudge because it opens doors, it takes down walls of defense that God has created in you. Nothing. Nothing is more damaging. Nothing makes you more vulnerable than that. Come on. And the Lord holds you accountable for the choices you've made to hold grudges. Come on. He's trying to help you right now. Let him help you. Let him help you. In the name of Jesus. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, for the refreshing, Father, for the refreshing, the innocence that you return unto me, Lord, the innocence that you return unto me, O God. Jesus, I receive of your innocence tonight. I receive of your innocence tonight. Nima tolo romahana itolo rikushumasiya itolo rialamatu. Kamaluri asuyi ipalurikushumata. Oh, I accept the gift of your innocence, Lord. I accept the gift of your innocence, Lord Jesus. The clothing of your righteousness. 
I receive it of you here tonight, Lord, right now. In the name of Jesus, I'm thankful to you for your extended mercies, Lord. For your ever-extended mercies, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I believe you. I trust you. I'm indebted to you. I'm thankful to you, Father. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for the release, Father. I thank you for the release of the indebtedness, Father. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.
Not all sin is blatant. Not all sin is clearly acted on or carried about because or classified per se. And so there's a need to repent wherever this may apply. A repentance that has to do with secret faults, presumptuous sins, the writer said. Cleanse me, Lord, of those things, of things that I do by entitlement that are wrong, that I should not engage. We do them. They're presumptuous. We think we have a right to engage in certain things, maybe because of sacrifices we've made. Lord, I'm asking you today for that soul-searching spirit, for the Holy Ghost, Search my heart, O oh God. I can only do this for me and everyone out there for yourself. Search my heart, O oh God. Try me. Try me. Know my thoughts, Jesus, and see if there be a wicked way in me. Lord, the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. To him it is sin. Whichever way the mark is missed, Lord. Do I push an envelope, God? Do I push something at the expense as a, a stumbling block? I cause there to be a stumbling block to another. Are my liberties a stumbling block to others, Jesus? I'm asking you, God, that all that I do and all that I engage and partake of, Lord, search me that I may not be wounding the conscience of a brother or a sister by what I allow, by what I do. What I project, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, worship you. Is there a sin of omission? But disobeyed when you spoke, Lord, and you said do, you said go, you said act upon this, you said engage this, and I did not. My disobedience to your voice, forgive me, forgive me, Lord, for every time that I've disobeyed. 
I held my peace when I should have spoken. I spoke when I should have held my peace. It's become a part of my persona, a part of my character, and it needs to be addressed. Jesus. Jesus, I love you, Father. I love you. I realize I don't love you enough. Praise you, Father. My soul cries out. My soul cries out. My soul cries out. You reconciled, God. To be reconciled, Jesus, in every every necessary way. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this world. Lord, forgive us. God, forgive me for entangling myself. For compromising my military status. Because... I've entangled myself in affairs that I have no business entangling myself with. I do not exercise my apostolic anointing because I'm entangled, God, in things. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive me for taking on battles that you did not send me to take on. I've been more of a a detriment than I've been a help, God, because I haven't chosen my battles wisely. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, yeah, amen, suhu,